0: Awesome. Good morning. Um, For those of you that do not know me, my name is Kourbis Killian, and I'll be bringing the uh, message today. We're speaking to Genesis 42 to 45. um, It's a fourth session, I guess, in a five-week series, so there's one more to go next week. Um, And we're revisiting the lessons that we um, teach the kids in Sunday school in the last year or so. Um, And today we continue the story of Joseph, um, where his brothers travel to Egypt, um, and buy grain uh, due to the famine, um, and it's a beautiful story of God's providence, um, of forgiveness, and of reconciliation. Now, it may be a familiar story to many of you, although there may be some that did not grow up in the church or is new to new to Christ. So, um, um, you'll be pleased to know that I won't be reading Genesis 42, 43, 44, and 45 in this series um, this session. It's probably take more than the lot of 20 minutes that I have anyway. But what I'll be doing is I'll be telling the story um, about um, those three things, focusing really on the reconciliation aspect. Um, is that me, or I'll continue as if it's not me? So, um, setting: this is around 1,900 years before Christ is where the story takes place, um, and it starts in Hebron. Uh, you can see there. Um, Hebron is in the current. Palestine in the West Bank. And the story starts there. So you know um, that's where Jacob settled after um, he left his father-in-law, Laban, after he had worked for him for about 20 years, I think, um, getting Leah and Rachel and eventually left them. And they were in Mesopotamia and they ended up in Hebron. And this is where the story starts. So Joseph is around 17 years old at uh, this stage, a young man. And his dad said to him, Hey, go up to your brothers in Shechem, a bit north. That is where they are herding um, livestock. Um, Go and visit them. So Joseph went up to Shechem, got there. um, They told him, oh, they're not here. They're up at Dothan. So he went up to Dothan. And um, this is where his brothers, the ten brothers up there, saw him coming, thought, oh, this is this upstart, this brat that thinks he's better than us. Um, Let's kill him. Eventually, they settled on selling him to Midianite traders who were heading towards Egypt. And it's worthy to note that Reuben, the eldest brother, um, advocated against that, um, and Judah, the fourth brother, was the one that eventually um, convinced his brothers to sell him to the traders. So they went down to Egypt, um, I think to the city uh, Heliopolis, round about there, which is about 450 k's away from um, up there in Dothan. In New Zealand terms, we're kind of looking at, what's it, Palmerston North, Masterton from here, so, a fair distance if walking is your main way of getting around. Um, so, Judah, uh, so then the famine came, as we know, and Jacob sent his sons from Hebron to Egypt to go and buy grain. And Benjamin, the youngest, was not to go as Jacob um, was worried that harm would come to him. So, Joseph is around about, about 15 years later, um, Joseph is mid-30s. And he's second in charge. He was the agent in charge of food rationing as the famine was, was hitting its traps. And he recognized his brothers at once, but they did not recognize him. So when they met him, they bowed to the ground as was prophesied um, years before, actually, for those of you interested. And chapter 37, that story is told. He would bow down again in chapters 43, 44, and 50. So we can say that that prophecy has been well and truly um, lived out um, Joseph saw them, accused them of spying saying you guys come from Canaan um, we're here in Egypt what's this all about? you guys come here, you think you're buying grain but really just spies um, and Joseph had them thrown in jail which resulted in their guilt for what they did to Joseph that guilt surfaced again considered um, their conversation in verse 21 verse um, they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben said, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. So they confessed to Joseph that there were actually 12 brothers at that stage. There were 12. One was no more, and the other one was back home with his father, Benjamin. So I guess it provided an opportunity for, for jo, um, Joseph at that stage saying, well, in that case, easy to test whether you're lying. Go back and fetch Benjamin. I, I, I think you're spies. Um, see, um, bring him back to me and we'll see whether you tell the truth. Jacob was in distress when he heard that Benjamin needed to go to, Je- to Egypt and Reuben even offered his two sons in his place should something happen to Benjamin, but to no avail. Um, Jacob did not want to let Benjamin go and um, but the famine continued and after a while more grain was needed um, so Jacob sent his sons again and reluctantly this time round um, Benjamin went with now this time Judah agreed to bear the blame if there was any trouble for J- Benjamin and Jacob resigned um, to let him go interesting <laughs> bit of a segue interesting co- um, thing to consider here Benjamin when I grew up, I grew up in the church, right? So, to me, Benjamin was a young boy, but he really wasn't. He was an adult man. Um, so, he was a grown man, because sh- shortly after, you read in chapter 46, that when the whole family went from, Egy- from um, Hebron to Egypt, he took his 10 sons with him. So, he had 10 sons at that stage. Um, so, assuming they started early, let's say it was mid-20s, around about there. So, we had a case here of a grown man being protected by his dad, while his brothers um, took the responsibility of caring for the family, of providing food for his kids, his family. Um, So just that, to me, is a bit of a, it struck me. I always kind of thought, like, oh, little Benjamin running around there. But he's actually an adult man at that stage. So we know how the story goes. This time, um, Joseph arranged a dinner party for his brothers. He was really excited to see um, Benjamin arrange this dinner party for them um, and Simeon, which he kept behind first time round as um, ransom, was restored back to the family. So everybody's happy, all 12 brothers together. Also really just to um, point at this point that to, to um, realize that Benjamin and Joseph were the only blood brothers, or Benjamin was Joseph's only blood brother. The others were half brothers. I still assume it's not me doing this, <coughs> <So laughs> unless I'm told otherwise. Um, as you can see, um, they were both Rachel's daughters, so you can understand why Joseph really keen to see Benjamin. Jacob had kids with four women, um, Leah and Rachel, as I mentioned earlier on, the daughters of Laban, and then their servants as well, um, which was common practice in those days. Um, so you understand why kind of really keen to see Benjamin, and in the story, he actually gave him f- gave Benjamin the best seat in the table. And gave him five times more food than his brothers. I'm not sure about five times. Maybe twice, but five times, Manny. uh, (laughs) How do you do that? But there you go. Um, (coughs) Well, by all, by all accounts, they relaxed. They had a good time. But Joseph was actually setting a trap for them. Not only did he return the money to them again, like he did the first time around, but Joseph's personal drinking cup was hidden in Benjamin's bag. So, essentially, Benjamin was caught stealing from the Prince of Egypt, which is a capital offense. Um, the brothers were brought back to, Jacob, uh, to Joseph's presence for the third time, and this time in great distress. Uh, Joseph denounced them, demanded Benjamin as his slave, and Judah gave an impassionate speech at that stage for Benjamin's safety, and I'll re- return to that, but later on, offering himself in Benjamin's place. And we know Joseph cried so loudly, That Pharaoh heard, um, came over and said, what's this commotion all about? Um, Joseph revealed who he was, brothers were stunned, um, and he begged them not to just be distressed any longer, telling them that their God has sent him ahead of them to save the whole family. So it's God's providence. God was using something bad um, for something good later on. Um, Pharaoh echoed Joseph's a, in invitation for the whole family to move to Egypt, even sent his um, wagons and, and uh, I guess, a entourage to go and fetch them, and um, they settled in a very highly fertile part of Egypt, actually pretty good real estate they settled in Goshen. So it's a lovely story, um, and, and no doubt many of you will be familiar with that, um, a story of God's providence um, and, and also the blessing for the family. Now, as I mentioned, I grew up in the church, and like many of you, the was a Sunday school staple. So, my recollection of the themes of these Sunday school stories um, is that Joseph kind of meets his brothers was mostly about God's provision. I mentioned of God taking something bad, using it for good, and then also about um, forgiveness, how Joseph forgave his brothers. Um, and it may just be a reflection of my personal story, or my personal experiences. But one area of this story which I think sometimes is a bit underdone is the one around reconciliation. It's not something that I encountered um, in my, my younger Christian life. And this is such a nice story about reconciliation. Um, and there, I guess, there's also lessons for us to consider. What's it, 4,000 odd years later? Um, we still holds true today. So forgiveness is one-sided. I can forgive you, you can forgive me, um, but it doesn't require the other person to to change his ways. Um, Joseph was able to forgive his brothers even before he knew whether they repented or not. Um, reconciliation, though, is a two-way street. Both parties must want to make this right. Um, in this story, both Joseph and his brothers were keen to make things right. So I'll be kind of... Focusing a bit more on the reconciliation side of things. So by the end of chapter 42, the brothers had been in Egypt once already. So this is them first time around, got the grain, left Simeon behind, went back to fetch Benjamin. So at this point in the story, we had all the main parties still trapped by the past. If you think about it, Jacob was trapped by his grief for his son Joseph. He could not let his adult son J- Benjamin go on this journey. You had the brothers, they were trapped because they couldn't tell their father what they did with Joseph. According to to Jacob, he was killed by a wild animal. Um, And we had Joseph trapped because he was not sure whether he could trust his brothers. Um, They tried to kill him once. Do they still hate him? We've seen them since, but do they still hate me? So even though I can forgive them, he could forgive them, reconciliation wasn't quite yet possible. And we can safely say that Joseph has forgiven his brothers by this time. Um, Things weren't right, though. He forgave them, um, and I mean, he had them in prison. He could really have have killed them, he could have made them slaves. So he had all the opportunity to exact revenge, which he didn't take. So I think we can safely assume that he forgave them. Um, But he did not know whether they wanted to make things right or not. So they're forgiven, but not yet reconciled. (coughs) In chapter 43, next chapter on, um, Jacob sent his son back for more grain. This time, Benjamin's going with. And once back in Egypt, they get their brother Simeon back, they had this fancy dinner with Joseph, and they were sent back on their merry way, back to Joseph. And this is where Joseph then hid the, his prized possession, the cup in Benjamin's um, bag, got them arrested, and then wanted to keep him as a slave. Now, this bit never set well with me when I grew up. It's like, Joseph, man, what are you doing? Everything's fine f- as far as I'm concerned this point in the story. Um, what are you doing? It's a bit of a blind move. So I thought, but in verse um, 44, chapter 44, verse 17, the brothers are told that, and I quote, whoever is found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. So what Joseph is doing here is giving these brothers the opportunity to do exactly what they did to him, to do that again to to Benjamin. If they hated Benjamin as they hated Joseph, They could just let him be taken into slavery. They can go to their dad saying, hey dad, Benjamin stole from the prince of Egypt. He took him as a slave. Sorry, nothing we could do about it. But they didn't. If they changed, they would have fought for Benjamin. They would have tried to intervene, which will be a sign of whether reconciliation, whether there's been a change of heart in the brothers. And did they change? You bet they did. In chapter 44, Judah makes a long and impassioned plea for mercy um, for Jacob, not for themselves. Um, he acknowledged their guilt before God, and verse 16 he said that God has found out the guilt of your servants. Um, this is not about us, this is about our dad. Um, our other brother is dead, he said. And Benjamin was the only one left of Rachel's children. Um, he said that Joseph and Benjamin, sorry, Jacob and Benjamin's life were bound together, and that without Benjamin, Jacob will soon die. He spoke of Jacob, his father, 14 times, 14 times in 16 verses. Then Judah went as far as offering himself as a slave in the place of Benjamin. I think that was me. And again. So about a 100 years ago, Henry Leopold an Old Testament scholar, commented on this um, plea from from Judah. And he said, and I quote, This is one of the manliest, most straightforward speeches ever delivered by any man. For depth of feeling and sincerity of purpose, it stands unexcelled. What makes it most remarkable, however, is the fact that it comes from the lips of one who once upon a time was so calloused that he cared nothing about the grief that it caused his father. There's a clear change of heart by the brothers. They had an opportunity to, sell, to save themselves and um, offer up Benjamin, but they didn't take it. And the rest of history, um, Joseph reconciled with his brothers. They fetched Jacob and moved back to Egypt. And 300 years later, that family has become so big. Um, and that's where Moses led them out of Egypt, back to the Canaan, back to the promised land again. But this is not just a historical story that um, i told that's got a bit of a lesson in us in, in it for us joseph life closely mirrors the life of another man that we as christians are very very familiar with in fact when you look at the details i'll put them up there um, yep you can read that <coughs> it's sometimes hard to discern whether we're talking about joseph or whether we're talking about jesus I've put 19 similarities up there. Scholars have found 101, 101 parallels between Joseph and Jesus. That's just 19, but you can see the parallels, can't you? Um, so, what we essentially what we're finding is Jesus in the Old Testament. There he is. Um, Chuck Missler once said that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. God's sovereign. And he's been laying signposts for Jesus right throughout history. And this is just one example of that. The Joseph story foreshadows Jesus Christ himself as a type of Christ. Uh, if you think it, right through the Bible, Bible, there are so many other types of Christ. Moses is another one leading people to the promised land. So Jesus is everywhere in the, in the Old Testament. Um, I like that we talk about Jesus as the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. And we find him very much in a revelation at the end of the Bible, but here he is right at the beginning. Um, Jesus is everywhere in the Bible. So in chapter 45, we read how reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers led to freedom. So both parties were released from their respective burdens. And that truth hasn't changed. Um, It's still valid today um, as it was then. The lesson for us here, though, is... That reconciliation with Jesus sets us free. Just as reconciliation with Joseph set the brothers free. God forgave us our sins. It's a one-sided, unilateral transaction which he instigated. But because we are forgiven, we can now be reconciled. <coughs> the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 15, 5 17, sorry, If anyone is in Christ, there's a new is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And f- this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Reconciliation. If we have been reconciled to God, then we are free from the powers of guilt. Anything that's holding us back. We've <clears throat> got no power over our lives anymore. So like Joseph's brothers, we can be prisoners that we set free. And the damaged relationships between us and God can be restored. course, as well as being reconciled with God, we should also be reconciled with each other. Paul says in Romans twelve eighteen that if it's possible, <coughs> as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everybody else, with everyone. But as we know, reconciliation is a two-way street. You cannot reconcile with somebody who's not willing to do so, but it's the aim. That's what we try to do. Um, so the lesson for us, I guess, from Joseph is to really strive towards reconciliation, Reach out to the other party and see whether they're willing to reconcile. So we're going to move into communion soon, um, and many of us may see ourselves in that story of of Joseph and his brothers. Something in your past may be holding you back. Maybe something was done to you, um, or something that you did that is staying with you. If something in your past is trapping you, take heart. Um, God's in control. Nothing you do or nothing that's happened to you can change that fact. God is always in control. God says, um, or um, Paul says in Romans, um, God promises in Romans 8, 28, in all things, God's work for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Please note that God does not promise that He'll use the bad things in your life for your good like He did in, jo- in Joseph's case absolutely his prerogative, though. He is sovereign. He can do that. But I think what the message for us here is mainly that this is about um, our ultimate good, ultimate restoration, and being with God in eternity. So as we take communion, I'd like you to consider the following three questions. Are you reconciled with God? Or is there something? He's forgiven you. The forgiveness is there. The first step is there. Have you accepted that forgiveness? And what's the relationship like at the moment between you and God? Are you free from the guilt of of sin from what you've done? Um, And if you are living with the consequence of something that might have happened in your past, something that somebody else might have done to you, do you trust God to use it to help you move forward in your spiritual life? If the answer is no to any of those questions, please reach out to one of the elders or any other mature Christian that you trust in your life and have a chat about them. Um, Ideally, you want three yeses in, uh, in those questions. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Joseph and his story of forgiveness and reconciliation, showing us a roadmap of how forgiveness and reconciliation can work. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to take our sins on him and forgive us our sins, allowing for us to be reconciled to you. We also pray for your strength and grace to forgive, accept, and love one another as you love us, forgive us, and accept us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.